an induction of the Archbishop, a visit to the United Nations, and even a scheduled trip to Hawaii to discuss the Vietnam War were not enough to keep President Johnson the top story. What happened on this day that changed everything? Find out now on this episode of Top Fold. Welcome to Top Fold, a podcast about all the news that would have been. I'm your host, Luke Heffley. Here at Top Fold, we explore monumental events that didn't make the top story only because that spot was already taken. It is said, he who controls the message controls the masses. President Lyndon Baines Johnson did just that his entire political life. Longtime journalist and Texas native himself, Bob Schieffer, said he didn't just dominate Texas politics, he was Texas politics. Johnson was a shrewd politician, and in 1948, while running for the U.S. Senate against a popular and well-funded incumbent, he went around the entire state with a helicopter and a bullhorn, giving up to 16 speeches a day. Johnson would fly over small towns, landing on football fields, much to the amazement of onlookers. His winning message made him the only person to serve in the House of Representatives, the Senate as Minority Leader and Majority Leader, the Vice President, and the President of the United States. The only one. Johnson choreographed everything, including the infamous photo of him taking the oath of office next to Jackie Kennedy on Air Force One after JFK's assassination. Johnson made sure it was recorded, projecting a message of leadership and continuity in such a troubling time. In 1964, controlling the timing and the narrative the entire way, Johnson championed the Civil Rights Act, signing the bill into law surrounded by civil rights leaders for all the world to see. When two U.S. Navy destroyers were allegedly attacked off the Vietnam coast, Johnson advocated for formal involvement in the war with what was called the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, and it overwhelmingly passed in both the House and the Senate. Whatever the crisis, Johnson made sure that he controlled the message. The successful passage of the Civil Rights and the Tonkin Resolution gave LBJ the motivation and the message he needed to run for president himself in November of 1964. Pushing back on the wishes of the very popular Attorney General Bobby Kennedy, who wanted to join the ticket as his vice president, Johnson instead chose Hubert Humphrey, and the two of them won the presidential election by a landslide. In early 1965, after law enforcement attacked civil rights protesters trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, known as Bloody Sunday, Johnson gave a speech to Congress declaring that the nation must overcome the crippling legacy of bigotry and injustice, and said, quote, we shall overcome. The speech was a huge success. The voting rights bill overwhelmingly passed both chambers, and Johnson signed it into law that fall. Then the tide slowly turned. Riots, rising national crime, and the mounting losses in Vietnam plagued Johnson's second term. Many national leaders openly criticized the president. In February of 1968, he lost the messenger. Walter Cronkite, America's top news anchor, famously told the nation that America was losing in Vietnam. Cronkite's message was somber and to the point. After the report, it is said that Johnson uttered the words, If I've lost Cronkite, I've lost middle America. For the first time in his political career, the narrative had slipped from Johnson's hands, and his opponents knew it. Eugene McCarthy ran a shockingly close second to LBJ in the New Hampshire primary, and then Bobby Kennedy himself decided to officially challenge the sitting president for the Democratic nomination. To take back the message, Johnson decided to do what he did best, speak to the American people with a primetime address from the Oval Office 
on March 31, 1968. He announced that almost all bombings would cease in North Vietnam and that the U.S. was prepared to move immediately towards peace through negotiations. If that wasn't shocking enough, what he said next was a true political bombshell. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. In the entire history of the United States, only five other presidents have not run for a second term, and most of them stated their intention either before or shortly after they became president. This was rare, very rare. If Johnson wanted to take back the narrative, he had succeeded a hundredfold. Johnson decided that he would be seen not only as in control, but also as an instant elder statesman for his party and his country, the one to bring peace to Southeast Asia and sacrifice a second term for a greater America. He decided that he was going to be the national topic of discussion for the next week and the rest of the year. The Washington Post, previously very critical of LBJ and his policies, praised his, quote, personal sacrifice in the name of national unity. Johnson's approval rating shot up 13 points almost overnight. The following Thursday, after his monumental announcement, was going to be the first shining moment in Johnson's new era. He traveled to New York City to oversee the induction of Bishop Terence Cook as the Archbishop of New York and the Catholic chaplain for the entire U.S. military, whom Johnson had handpicked for that position. For a bit of context on this momentous occasion, there have only been seven Archbishops of New York in the last 120 years, while at the same time, there have been ten popes. When the President entered St. Patrick's Cathedral, The entire congregation stood and applauded for him, and even after he was seated next to former First Lady Jackie Kennedy, they just kept cheering. This was a stark contrast from just days earlier. While in New York, LBJ made sure he would remain the top story by making a last-minute visit to the United Nations. He met with the Secretary General to discuss Vietnam and other world events, while cameras flashed everywhere. Later that same evening, Johnson planned to attend a congressional fundraiser in D.C. and then fly to Hawaii for peace talks with the Vietnam delegation. But after arriving back in Washington, everything changed. Johnson abruptly canceled his dinner and his trip to Hawaii. Despite President Johnson's attempts for the next few weeks and even months, his message was no longer the main story. What happened? What could have taken the president and his carefully crafted message out of the headlines and top stories? Suddenly, his decision and declarations weren't what everyone was talking about. Why? What changed the headlines from the president's monumental announcement of ending the bombing of North Vietnam and not running for a second term, attending the archbishop's installation, a visit to the U.N., and a planned trip to Hawaii? On April 4th, 1968, At 6.01 p.m. Central Time, Martin Luther King Jr. was shot while standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee. Johnson was notified just 23 minutes after King was shot, and then at 8.20 Eastern Time, he was told King was dead. On the evening of April 4, 1968, shockwaves swept the nation as news broke that the 39-year-old civil rights leader had been assassinated. Shortly thereafter, And for the second day in a row, Johnson addressed the nation, offering words of solidarity and comfort. But the nation was no longer listening to him. They were now watching Walter Cronkite and other news anchors who were giving updates in real time. King had been in Memphis to highlight the deplorable working conditions in the sanitation department. The night before, at the Mason Temple in Memphis, 
He preached against violent protest in a sermon known as I've Been to the Mountaintop. It wasn't the first time he prophesied about not living a long life, but it would be his last. Less than 24 hours later, he was gone. Sparking the greatest wave of social unrest since the Civil War, over a hundred cities broke out in rioting, with at least 40 people killed, 3,500 injured, and over 25,000 arrests. Viewing the rioting over Washington, D.C. from a helicopter, Johnson tried to show leadership, but his message didn't hold the same weight. On April 9th, there were two funerals for the slain civil rights leader. The first ceremony was at Ebenezer Baptist Church, where King and his father had both been pastors. Johnson worried that his presence would be too much of a distraction and sent Vice President Humphrey instead. Over 1,300 people were in the church, including Senators Bobby and Ted Kennedy, Governor George Romney, Richard Nixon, Governor Rockefeller of New York, and many more elected officials from across the nation. Archbishop Cook, who had been appointed just five days earlier, was also in attendance. Because several prominent Hollywood stars, including Sammy Davis Jr. and Sidney Poitier, said they would be attending the funeral, the 40th Annual Academy Awards was postponed for two days. Poitier had been in two of the movies that were nominated for Best Picture, which were both about race-related issues. Per Coretta Scott King's request, the eulogy at King's funeral was his own words. It was a recording of his last sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church titled Drum Major Instinct, where King concluded his sermon by imagining his own funeral, saying not to dwell on life's achievements, but asking to be remembered for trying to give his life serving others. He said, yes, if you want to say that I was a drum major, Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all the other shallow things will not matter. The second funeral was open to the public at Morehouse College, King's alma mater. The four-mile procession between the two venues went through downtown Atlanta, and as many as 100,000 mourners joined with the family, civil rights leaders, and elected officials. Singing hymnals almost the entire way, the group ended the march with the song, we shall overcome. King had been preaching his message of God's love, peace, and reconciliation since a very early age. Imitating his father, he shared the word with anyone who would listen. Later, at Morehouse College, he received awards for his oratory skills. In 1954 in Montgomery, Alabama, as a 25-year-old minister, crowds from all over the South came to hear King preach. He became a national figure during the Montgomery bus boycott even being arrested and jailed. In 1957, King founded the SCLC, or Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which he led until his death. On September 20, 1958, in Harlem, while signing copies of his book, Stride Toward Freedom, King was stabbed in the chest with a letter opener. He had emergency surgery and was in the hospital for several weeks. In April of 1963, during a nonviolent protest in Birmingham, King was arrested, and from his cell, he wrote Letter from Birmingham Jail, which advocated for direct action against unjust laws. In August of that same year, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, King delivered his most famous speech, I Have a Dream. His message on that day, and for the rest of his life, solidified his leadership among the black community. Johnson eventually did make the trip to Hawaii, but now dealing with the racial tension at home and trying to end the war— It was easy to see he wasn't in control. North Vietnam now felt emboldened to prolong the war to break America's spirit. 
and the war went on for years after Johnson left office. In June of 1968, King's assassin, James Earl Ray, was captured at London Heathrow Airport. On March 10, 1969, Ray officially confessed, but then tried to recant three days later. He eventually pled guilty to avoid the death penalty and was sentenced to 99 years in prison. He died behind bars in 1998. Thirteen years after King's assassination, Dr. King was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom and in 2003, the Congressional Gold Medal. Although many cities and states had recognized Martin Luther King Day, it wasn't until federal legislation was signed by President Reagan in 1986 that it became a national holiday. To say 1968 was a crazy year is an understatement. The final loss of message for Johnson was when his hand-picked successor, Vice President Hubert Humphrey, lost the general election overwhelmingly to Richard Nixon. After attending Nixon's swearing-in ceremony, Johnson returned to his Texas ranch. From then on, he rarely spoke in public. On December 12, 1972, he spoke at a symposium about race and concluded his message with the words, We shall overcome. On January 22, 1973, at age 64, Lyndon Baines Johnson died of a heart attack. The words, we shall overcome, were the last public words that President Johnson ever said. He is buried at the Johnson Family Cemetery in Stonewall, Texas. Although one would think there would be a message on his headstone, it is only his name, dates of birth and death, and the words, 36th President of the United States. Dr. King's message of peace has stood the test of time. In 2011, the Martin Luther King Jr. National Memorial at 1964 Independence Avenue in Washington, D.C. was dedicated. Located on four acres, it includes a huge granite statue of King called the Stone of Hope, which is inspired by King's message during his I Have a Dream speech, where he declares, out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope. There are 14 quotes from Dr. King engraved on a 450-foot wall. The very first quote that one sees on the south wall starts with the words from one of his greatest messages of all, We shall overcome. On April 4th, 1968, President Johnson's plan to be in the spotlight for the rest of the year disappeared. His attempt to be in the headlines with his well-crafted message was rightfully overshadowed by a great civil rights leader being gunned down in his prime. No matter what Johnson did or said from that moment on would overcome Martin Luther King's message, of wanting the world to be a better place. And there you have it, all the news that would have been. Thank you for joining us this week on Top Fold. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Top Fold Podcast and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcast. All my sources and research can be found at topfold.buzzsprout.com. There, along with other things that bring history to life. I'd like to thank David Wagler for the music. And if you like the show, please rate us and give us a review. Or simply tell a friend. That would be great. So until next time, there you have it. All the news that would have been.